Oh, you do? Yeah, Good. yeah. I had to remember, and I, I thought of them. Okay. So, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Matthew. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, Dave is, is a friend of mine, and he is a priest at uh, the Angel City Zen Center in Los Angeles. And you should check his podcast out, or the Angel City Zen Center podcast, because it is excellent. Um, Why, thank you. So, Dave, I wanted to ask you first, um, how spiritual or religious was your upbringing? Um, my upbringing, well, it was weird. My parents were Catholic, or so I thought, and we went to church when I was a kid. And But they never really seemed that religious at home, and so I was always confused, like, hey, they said we should be doing these prayers before dinner, or we're going to go to hell. Like, that sounds terrible, y'all, like... Let's do these prayers and they were like humor me and stuff and i was uh, i was kind of confused why the authority in the room didn't seem to care about this hell thing that everyone else told me was going to burn me up and so um sometime around what when i was 12 we had been living in germany where we couldn't go to church for a while because there wasn't a catholic church in germany we come back to ohio went to the catholic church there a few times and for four weeks in a row we all just fell asleep together the whole, the whole <laughs> family and it was embarrassing so like you know we should probably stop going to church now <laughs> And so we stopped going to church and then I finally asked my dad as I got more into teenage years and understood what religion was and God was. And I was like, well, you know, are, do you believe in God? He's like, no. And I was like, well, why'd you take me to church? And he said, <laughs> just in case. <laughs> uh... <laughs> he had a better speech than that. He thought it was good for kids. But um, it turns out that we, we were never actually religious. Uh, he was just doing it because of cultural things. I think partially to appease his parents. He never really said that, but I get the... Uh, partially because his parents thought he should take us to church and so there was that um anyway does so he go to saying. church these days absolutely not no he's in okay. no my mom claims that we are culturally catholic which i keep telling her is not a thing <laughs> <laughs> she's like i was like do you believe in jesus she's like no i was like well then you're not catholic she's like no we're culturally catholic it's like mom that is not interesting wow. <laughs> um so when you were growing up like when you were a kid and when you were a teenager do you remember having any spiritual experiences? The first spiritual experience I remember. Um, wait, can I tell this? Can I tell the story, the story my way? I, I Absolutely, tell, yeah. I tell this in Dharma talks. This is how I tell the story. Um, when I was seven or eight in catechism, that's the the Catholic Sunday school, and the teacher says, um, I don't know if they're teachers or what they're called. Anyway, the woman says. She says, you go quiet, and she like says, look in your heart. And she's like, you feel that? And we're like, yeah, we feel that. And she's like, that's Jesus. And I was like, how do I know that? Like, <laughs> Seven-year-old bastard over here just being like, I don't believe you. Like, you just called that Jesus. Like, I feel something, but I don't know that that's Jesus or what yeah. that is. And then when I was 18, I was hanging out with a Benedictine monk, and he takes on a meditation. It, it was a whole workshop. And he was a very, a very nice guy and a very smart guy. And he takes us through meditation, and the same thing. He's like, feel that in your heart. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, that's what we call Jesus. And I was like, 
thank you. You just mm. fixed the whole thing. Like those yeah. two little words. That's what we, that's, that's what is Jesus. That's what we call Jesus. Um, so my first spiritual experience was skepticism. <laughs> yeah. And my second one was a relief of like, oh, it's just semantics. <laughs> that's funny. Now, how did you, how did you get, um, how did you get connected with this Benedictine monk? Uh, my girlfriend at the time, her dad was a philosopher. He, I think he was the chair of the philosophy department at um, DU, Denver University in Colorado. And so they all, they had cool friends combined. He was a family friend. So I made him pasta and the guy loved my pasta. So I was like, all right, I know you're a Benedictine monk and I don't like Catholicism, but you like my pasta so, so we can hang out. <laughs> and did I hear you correctly to say that that was kind of like he was the person that first introduced you to, to meditation kind of? That was my first time meditating, yeah. How this is my first time having that? a spiritual first time having a spiritual experience that I felt good about that like included me and I understood and like I really yeah I just really loved the whole thing it kind of opened me up to be like oh maybe there is some value in religion yeah so when he said uh, that's what we call Jesus now like what do you what do you call that <laughs> what do you call that thing that they call Jesus oh man well it's it's complicated. Yeah. And I don't, this is what's hard. I, I don't, I'm trained to interface stuff, right? And so you want to honor all traditions and everybody's understandings. But at the same time, I picked my path for a reason. And the problem is I love what he showed me and the openness of it was very beautiful. And he got me on board that there's something spiritual there. But what he showed me is Jesus. Zen has said, keep going. Yeah. Let, let go of that. And what happens when you let go of that? And then you let go of that, letting go of that. And then you let go of that. And you let go of that, letting go of that. You know, it just turtles all the way down. But the point is, I don't call that, if I'm being a snot face, I would call that a preliminary feeling <laughs> that mm. they call Jesus. And uh, maybe an entry point, a Dharma gate, you could call it. Um, it's, a, it's a raw, it's a raw feeling. And it's a sensation of your awareness connected to your body, and that is beautiful. But I don't think it's where I would stop if I were putting words on religion. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, so a couple terms in Buddhism really interest me right now that seem to kind of relate to what we're talking about, which is shunyata, like emptiness, mm -hmm. and and Buddha nature. So, you know, do you have anything to say about how those things, like how emptiness uh, relates to, to, to that thing? Yeah, and that's, I think, what I was kind of dancing around is that, that thing, the reason why I don't like to give it a name or why I wouldn't call it the, the head of my, my church, like, like Jesus is like the head of the sure. church somehow, right? Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop there because, yeah, it's, it's empty, but it's yeah. also there. And the emptiness is also alive. The em emptiness is yeah. a big misnomer um, because it looks emptier from the outside. And once you dive in, it's just rich and full and it's everythingness, you know? Yeah. Um, maybe that is what they call Jesus. I don't know, but I've never really heard. I don't think they get past the emptiness barrier with Jesus from what I understand yeah. of Christian yeah. mythology or mysticism even. Yeah. Okay. Um, so... <clears throat> Were you were you uh, playing music by the time you were eighteen? I guess like when this happened. I've been playing music since I was four years old. 
Wow. Okay. Yeah, violin when I was four, guitar when I was sixteen. Wow. What is it? What do you think pulled you toward music? I didn't really have a choice. Is that my my parents? Like my brother played music since since he was three. I was I was behind because I was four years old. He was three when he started piano. Um, so it assumed like, well, Dave's gonna play an instrument too. I picked violin, but that was kind of um, a problem too. <laughs> It's kind of like wanting real religion and getting Catholicism. I'm so sorry. That's just the, that's my personal understanding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing against anybody, but um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I knew I was gonna play an instrument. But we were at the one of those World Fair kind of things they would do on the on the um, Washington the 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 mall in in Washington D.C. because we lived in D.C. And there, I think it was an exhibit for New Hampshire. So they had like a New Hampshire exhibit. It was a guy on a fake porch they built. And he's just fiddling away. And I was like, this man saw it on his fiddle, like, that's what I want to do. I want to play like that guy. It looked like freedom. It looked fun. It was beautiful. He was just kind of like carefree and, 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 and great. And I was like, let's do that. She's like, okay, cool. We'll get you violin lessons. And then I get classical Suzuki method, which is not what that man was doing. I know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> and so then I spent, what, that's four to 16, 12 years. But I, I didn't stop playing violin until I was 17, I think, or 18. Um, and so 12 years of like strict disciplinarian classical lessons when I wanted to be the, the man on the porch sawing freely on his fiddle, you know, that was my did you, music. <laughs> did you like, um, did you kind of feel like you could use some of that classical training to provide like a foundation for, for more kind of raw, wild violin playing? That took a long time. No, because when, when you're young, you know, you're just angry. Sure. And so it's just this or that. And like classical music's the enemy and um, punk rock became the freedom. So I learned bar chords and Nirvana and Green Day. And I was like, this is not classical. This is this is right. You know, yeah. Much later in life, did I find that I could draw on some of that and it probably was helpful? Yeah. I pick up the violin once or twice a year now and be like, OK, this thing's kind of fun. I like I'm just even now starting to drill guitar playing like I would do the violin when I was a kid. I'm like point your fingers right, ring the note out right, practice the picking patterns and, you know, technique. But that's, I'm, what, 39 now? <laughs> it took me a long time to get over that um, resentment. <laughs> I wonder if seeing that guy when you were young is what planted the seed for your later interest in, like, punk and stuff. Probably, just because it was the raw freedom of it, you know? It was just yeah. beautiful. In, in music terms, you know, there's, like, when you can play without thinking, it looks like he's mashing everything they taught me not to do. is like kind of mashing away, sawing away, like kind of what I'm calling carefree, they would call thoughtless and careless, you know? <laughs> um, and the fact that you could ring beautiful tones seemingly carelessly, that always pulled to me. Um, mm. Always, always, always. Well, it seems like, I know we talked recently about music and it seems like maybe you're at a point now where you like a little balance, right? Because you like... Uh... You like some structure and you like the the song to kind of be structured in a maybe more traditional way but you also like the the rawness of you know playing like that guy was playing yeah that's actually what's funny is the song i'm working on right now um i am finding myself it's like i want to kind of like do a crashing chord thing for an instrumental breakdown with, a, with it has like a, a a lead of a solo in there and like, well, can I hit the chords in a way so they still sound pleasant and pleasing, and you can still hear the melody, but it also feels and looks and sounds carefree. Like I'm just kind of hitting at this guitar, and this um, perfect balance of chord and melody is just kind of happening to come out. Yeah, but it's taken a lot of practice to like drill that to the point where 
um, my hand can forget all, everything is learned. I'm teaching it to do, you know, and do it yeah. naturally. <laughs> so it takes <laughs> a lot of work to be that natural is what I'm finding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you, um, at one point in your life, you went on like a, or maybe more than one, a tour kind of around the United States playing music, right? Yeah. I spent, um, several years, mostly just touring, coming home, going back to work and booking and going back on tour, um, from about 2006 until about 2000. 12 or 13 that was just my life so that like that preceded your your dive into to zen um it coincided coincided uh, yeah um after my first tour in 2006 maybe six, six, 2007 i came home from a certain tour and i got into buddhism intentionally um yeah and so yeah ever since then and wasn't didn't you have at least one significant experience when you were on the road that like made you reconsider or realize or amplify your uh you know you were like wow maybe maybe uh buddhism has something to offer yeah it's hard there are a couple the first time I didn't know it was Buddhism. <laughs> um, I had done at that point, so that was 2006, and I had gone to a few um, meditation classes, I guess, through Dharma Punks in New York. They tried to help me to meditate, and I just thought I couldn't do it. You know, I couldn't keep my mind still. And um, I always, when I would close my eyes and just see cartoons playing, and try to <laughs> teach her, like, is it normal to see cartoons when you're trying to meditate? And does that count as thinking? And he's like, what? <laughs> I was like, oh, never mind. <laughs> I don't see cartoons. That's weird. <laughs> I get that. Anyways, that was all my experience with Buddhism. So I really didn't think much about it. And I didn't really understand or know much about it. But then when I was on that first tour, I went alone in a car. And it was California and back. So it was like two months or more by myself. My friends were like, dude, you're going to go nuts out there somewhere. Somewhere on the West Coast, you're going to lose your freaking mind being two months alone in a car. And I was like, ah, let's, let's find out. I just want to know. You know, that was my, my real thing. I just wanted to know whatever was out there. If there was some yeah. kind of craziness, mind-blowing thing to happen on the West Coast, let's drive there and find it. You know, what else am I doing with my life? So somewhere around Texas, when the drives got long, like you cross the Texas divide and drives become like eight to 13 hours between shows, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's just nothing happening on the road. And I just got curious. I was like... I always wanted to know who would, who would, what am I, you know? So I just started turning off the radio and sitting there for 10 hour drives, just staring at the road, being like, what is this? What is this? What is this? At everything, every thought, everything I saw, just like, I know there is something, there is some, I don't know, a facade. There's something beyond this that I know, and I want to know what that is. And so I just stared at it and asked it what it was to see if it would tell me um, or see if I could find out. And I didn't know if, I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know if that was a thing, if that was normal, if I was crazy, or if there was anything there, if I was just entertaining myself with weird thoughts. And then somewhere on the drive after Eugene. In Eugene, I had a sad but sweet one night stand on my car. Sorry, this is a story. Um, where she didn't take me home afterwards. So, like, we hang out in my car. And then she goes home. And she's like, good night. And I was like, this oh, is no. <laughs> And so I wake up alone in my car the next morning, just being like, Oh man, life is sad. And then my ex-girlfriend calls, he'd been mad at me and she's just yelling at me. And so I'm, you know, cold and alone and uh, sad little one night stand the last night. And my ex-girlfriend just yelling at me, telling me I'm a horrible person on the phone. Mm. Um, I hang up with her and just like, I'm almost broke. Life is just kind of shit. And I'm, then I just drive away and I'm just like driving away from that being like, yeah, no, fuck it, freedom. And then all of a sudden, um, 
the sky cracks open. I'm just a laughing, crying mess of a baby. Just everything is just pure love, and I am just everything. And it was just, I don't know. I saw God out there. <laughs> wow. So crazy um, release. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, and just like just freed from I mean that's the word for it. Just absolutely free of everything, free of every worry of what anybody could possibly think of you, of what I think of myself, what I've been trying to do with my life. It's just all just fell away. Just everything fell away. Wow. I uh, wonder how like um, you know, like when you were driving and asking, like, what is this? What is this? What is this? And then you had like the the dip into sadness, and then it's almost like maybe all that questioning and like exploring before the sadness came allowed you to like resurrect out of the sadness with some sort of new freedom and clarity i don't know that's cool yeah it's not out of it's like the bottom falls out sure sure, sure <laughs> and sure. you just fall yeah. into <laughs> yeah okay that's interesting man um okay so these days you live at the zen center mm -hmm. you've lived there for how long i have lived here for crap Four years, going on five years. Yeah, this is mm -hmm. this, this is the fifth year. And you do how much time every day do you sit? Like an uh, average day? Um, it depends on the day. Definitely an hour a day. Sometimes on my days off, I only do a half hour. Um, and most days, an extra half hour. So usually an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. And I know that, like you know, in in your zazen, you're not trying to cultivate a bliss state. You're not trying to cultivate uh, an altered state. Mm -hmm. That's almost antithetical to what Zen is about, and at least your your approach to Zen. Um, however, I'm sure altered states do arise during meditation. All the meditation you do, do you do you have any specific experiences that were just weird or psychedelic or trippy when you were meditating? Well, first, I'm going to have to, um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm the Zen jerk. No, um, this is great. The problem with an altered state is it assumes a base normal state. Sure. And man, stared at my mind long enough and like, there is no, there is no normal. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. have, I don't have a baseline to compare to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good call. Because whenever I, whenever I just glance at it, it's the same. I mean, do I have trippy experiences to compare it to? I mean... Probably, God, yeah. I guess earlier on, it was more apparent that what happens in meditation looks a whole lot like what used to happen on acid, you know? Um, and when you alter your state of consciousness, um, yeah, meditation looks a lot like that. But you do that every day for 14 years, and you start to also drop the distinctions between what it's like to sit and what it's like to be where you are doing what you're doing through things like work practice or walking meditation. You, you break down those boundaries. And then... Um, like I did mushrooms a few years. I'm just using drugs. I, I'm not a proponent of drugs, but if you talk about ultra state of consciousness, it's the most clear. Like, yeah, I'm on mushrooms now. I'm not. So right. I, I can I can use that frame of reference. I did mushrooms a few years ago for the first time in a long time, as a psychedelic, and I remember thinking, yeah, it's my body feels kind of funny, but it's not that much different. Like it's really the the visualizations are a little bit more apparent and harder to shake off, and your body feels a little funny. Um, but it's not not different than what happens most mornings <laughs> for yeah. at least some period. And honestly, if I wanted to just like remember that that's kind of always there anytime. Yeah, like always available to tap into that part. If you want um, to, yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, if you want to. Um, okay. Well, let's dive into some unusual experiences. Do you have, uh, I mean, we kind of already have a little bit. But do you have any stories about uh, times in your life where something 
strange or synchronistic or paranormal or mystical happened? Yeah, I'll start with my favorite one because it's the most undeniable, I think. Um, my, my brother lived with a guy who was autistic. This was years ago, um, probably 2000. He was autistic and deaf and mute. Um, that was the deal. Um, and they, they had done checks on him. He was not just not responsive. He really was deaf. He really couldn't hear. And mm -hmm. yet, when you'd walk into his apartment, because um, I stayed with them for a little while, um, he knew when you're, if you walk in at 3 in the morning, even being quiet as could be, just in case he could hear, dude would walk out, wave at you, and go back to bed. You know? Now wow. it was David. It's like, all right, cool. David knows some shit. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then after we moved out, uh, he used to come visit me. I worked at the mall making pizza. And he would come and get pizza sometimes. We also have the same conversation. I, it took me years to get this joke. His name is Dave. My name is Dave. He was, he, and he had blonde hair and blue eyes. He would always come and take a napkin and write down um, Dave blonde and point to you and blue eyes and point to me. And I'm like, no, you have blonde hair and blue eyes. And I finally get it. He was just joking about our names. I, anyway, that <laughs> a decade to get that joke. I just thought he was being weird. Um, but so he would do this sometimes. And then one day, my parents were living in Germany. Um, and I was in Colorado and David comes in the mall and he writes down dog. And I was like, yeah, because we had a family dog. And I, I think he knew that. He wrote down Brittany. I wrote down, yeah. He wrote down Ginger. I said, yeah, that was her name. And he said, he wrote down dead. And I was like, fuck you. Get the fuck out of my pizza place, <laughs> you jerk. <laughs> um, I, I hope I wasn't mean to him. Anyway, it was jarring. Yeah. And that night she died, um, wow. I found out. So there's. I don't know. That's pretty like David did not know Ginger. She was not talking to him. He was not on the phone with my parents. Like there is no rational way that he knew my dog was dying that day. Yeah, man. It seems like a, a bunch of people have had experiences like that, whether they have dreams that are premonitions or, um, and yeah, I wonder, I wonder why that is. I guess to me, it seems like there's just a field. There's like a field of consciousness or energy that people can tap into. I don't think we're just separate units that, you know what I mean? Well, my, that's, my, my mom's the funniest example, because I think we really want these things to like make sense and be beautiful and poetic and fit into our narrative lives. But my mom, like she is like, I'm sorry, she just she has dreams. She just knows stuff. And it's yeah. uncanny. It checks out and it's random and it can be and totally useless. I mean, like sometimes it was like sad. Like one time my dad, he was in the Air Force and he was working with journalists and she had a dream that a journalist friend of his, this was during the Iraq War. I mean, so cliche, whatever, the guy's on a hillside at sunset waving goodbye, and he was embedded in Iraq, and yeah, my dad then found out that he died after that dream. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, she knows stuff like that. Like, that just happened. Wow. That was, like, a common occurrence. Well, he, she knew when my dad had a, a deputy that she couldn't stand and he couldn't stand her, um, but before he could tell my dad that his wife was pregnant, my mom had already told him, you know, like, she just knew from her dreams that Jerry's wife was pregnant <laughs> and Jerry knew too. And Jerry was like, Jay, I need to talk to you. And my dad's like, your wife's pregnant. And Jerry's like, damn it, Elise. Like it was just a joke. You know? <laughs> so, only my mom knows stuff, but it's absolutely useless things that really had no connection to her that didn't affect anything. You know what I mean? Like there's no mm -hmm. way to harness this power for good. It's not, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. That's weird. Um, <laughs> any other, uh, any other unusual experiences you want to share? I know you, yeah. I got, I got two more. I, I have them staged Perfect. in order for you. Let's do this. Of fun. Um, okay, so the last one is, the next one is kind of zen. 
Um, okay. goes with another Zen moment. Um, I had I was back in New York after touring. I had been meditating seriously by now. I've been studying the Dalai Ching seriously by now. Um, and I was having a night, and this just kind of fits in line with what I now know of Zen stories. Having a night where I was just totally in my groove. Um, I'm making a soup, and I'm just like totally into this freaking soup. Like I'm roasting the carrots. I'm trying to make bread. I'm just kind of in my flow. Um, I have customers. I remember I even like the customers come in, and I was like hating on my customers because I always hate my customers because they're getting in my way. I'm trying to make soup. And, but even that was part of my flow. I'm just like, of course I hate you, and that's beautiful, and thank you for being here for me to hate you, you know? And just like, and the soup is coming out great. And I had this playlist on, and the playlist uh, had what, like 10,000 songs on it, something like that. And, you know, I hear a song ending, and in the same way that, um, you know how an album that you love, that you know really well, when the song ends, you just hear the next song come on yeah. in your head before it actually plays? Like, I hear the song ending, and I think, and I just think of the opening uh, notes to Joe Strummer's uh, Yalla Yalla. Just like that would just be, that's just like the perfect notes right now. And then a second later, Yalla Yalla comes on. And I was like, dude, I am in the zone. You know, so <laughs> I already knew I was in the zone, but this is just like, yeah, really on point. And so then I asked myself, and my question for myself was, okay, was I so in the zone that I knew that would happen? Did I make that happen? Or is it just a random coincidence that I'm spinning into stories? And then I just knew the answer was that all three of those things were true at the same time somehow. And I, I like still know that on some level, like that is part of my practice. That is just how time and space and efficacy works. Like that's what I learned that night um, is that the difference between free will and determinism is that it's all, it's the same thing. <laughs> my oh, choices. Wow. Yeah. And it was kind of like one of those end moments. Like after I had that realization and it was just like realization and everything was went from like being in the zone to like everything was just zone. Honestly, for like six months, I had no trouble in life. Like everything was just easy and good and makes sense and perfect. And I was, I don't know, just everything was easy. <laughs> everything was beautiful. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. So you feel like you made it happen. You, you kind of just sensed that it was about to happen. And it was random at the same time. And, right? and now I, when I sit now, I guess we want experience as well. I'm sitting. One thing that I noticed the most common, because I had a teacher get me to focus on sound focus a lot, um, is that if you just stop, not worrying about your thinking, just taking in sound as raw sound until after a while of doing that, like it, I don't know how long it took me to finally like loosen up and let it happen. But then the world just takes on the quality of a symphony, you know, just like every note starts to sound just in time. And it's just like someone's conducting this like clank, clank, vroom. And it's just like, yeah, right there. And then you notice that your brain kind of knows this. I don't know if it knows it beforehand, but every sound event is just like, oh, of course, right there. Yes, I knew that one. You already know it as it's happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's kind of what that experience was. It was, it was the same thing, only I got like, the proof of it happening a split second beforehand so I can know it's not just an uncanny um, feeling. Like, I do think that we do know things as they're happening more than we think we do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I remember you telling me, you, you telling me something like that um, at one point, how we, you know, how you have a sense sometimes that you just, it's like something happens, you're like, of course that happens. I, I know though, I knew that was gonna happen, but that's not quite the way to language it, that you knew it was gonna happen. It's just like, it's kind of beyond, uh, beyond a strict like linear map of it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And I think I we like all know that. this. A lot of us know this in terms of sports. Like uh, people, athletes will say when they're in, in a flow state, when they're playing their sport, they're not thinking about where the tennis ball is going to go. They're already in motion as they even recognize where the tennis ball is going, like they already knew it was going to happen. And my point is I'm pretty sure that that's because you do know where the tennis ball is going to go. Um, right. if, you, if you shut the hell up and let yourself know what you already know in your bones and not try to think about it, you know a lot of things that you didn't know. That's true. You know. <laughs> that's really, really true. I totally, totally get on board with that. I guess, uh, you know, I guess intuition plays a part. Um, that's one word that seems similar to some of that. Um, that's great. What's your third story? Um, okay, my last story is, I don't know, I'm less, this is the one I'm more hesitant to tell because it's the most <laughs> mystical and there might be a stupid mundane excuse for it, but I still can't find one. I, 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 it looked so normal when I saw it that and I was like, oh, no, there's no explanation for that. That's just that. I was on the phone late one night with a friend, um, kind of just pacing around outside smoking, and we were talking, getting down on the world. You know, it's the Trump years, where it was. <laughs> Everyone's just kind of getting down on the world. And then I get really excited about nuclear fusion um, as an energy source. Like, when I, when I picture the world after they figure, finally figure out fusion, it's just like, it's a whole different world. I'm not going to go off on a tangent, but it's a whole different world when they figure out fusion. Like, the energy, once energy is actually as pretty much free. Everything we know about scarcity and abundance just changes. And there's no such thing as poverty in the world where energy is free. So anyway, so I'm, I'm realizing that we're actually not that far off from figuring out fusion. And not only that, but then all energy is clean too. It's clean, it's free, and it's abundant. Um, and so everything we know that we currently have the idea that everything we take has to cost something. Everything hurts something. We know that driving a car hurts everybody. We know that if we take more than our share, we hurt somebody. We just we reconcile that every single day. And mm -hmm. the idea that there's a world coming up in my lifetime in which that is not the case, you know? This, I, I'm getting choked up right now, just right, because this really is going to be true. Everything we know about our, our lives and, and harm and suffering might flip in our lifetimes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm making this speech to my friend on the phone and realizing I actually believe it. And for a second, everything I know about the world being harmful and my place in it being harmful and just it, it slips off just a little bit quickly. I just kind of feel, you know, not, not as big as like on the road thing, the sky doesn't crack open or anything, but just like that weight, the weight of the world just slips off my shoulders. And then I look across the street and down the street and there's these little globules of light <laughs> and they're just little globes of light. Um, it might be comparable to starlight, but you know, maybe like that bigger. So, like six inches, it seems like from where I'm standing, and they're just like, just floating, like maybe like dandelion puffs, and they're just kind of gently drifting away like they're on a breeze. But it was definitely nighttime, they're definitely light, and they're definitely floating like they're on a breeze, and I don't know of anything that does that. There's nobody around, um, they weren't drones, there was no sound, they were just peaceful, very slow moving, um, drifting globules of light. Um, that's all I know about that. So maybe that can be explained away. But it really worked uncannily with my, my moment of being like, maybe I think everything is going to be okay. Like just really getting that in my heart and telling my friend yeah. that like, everything's going to be okay. And then the little globes <laughs> drifting along. And I was like, that now might how, have been a thing. <laughs> how far away were these, were these like orbs of light? Um, I don't know. I would say maybe started at like 15, 20 feet and then drifted all the way down the block until they were kind of out of sight. Okay, because I think that you told me that one time, but I had the impression that it was like far in the in the sky. No, but you're they were saying so, they were close by. That's my point. But it, it looks a. I was in the kind of this is where I think about um, miracles and uncanny stuff. I described the theory that they happen when you're not looking for it. You know what I mean? When when you're yeah. relaxed and not surprised by it is when you're likely to encounter it. I wasn't surprised by it. I was like, huh, 
that's pretty. <laughs> you know, so I wasn't like chasing after it to go investigate what this was. Um, it just, it looked normal. It felt normal. And I was like, well, that's nice. <laughs> that's amazing, that's actually. Part of the mindset that allows these things to be, to be noticed. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, gosh, I wonder that's, I'm going to definitely be reflecting on that. It's, uh, who knows what that was, but it seemed like no matter what it was, I'm sure it felt good to, to have that happen right after that conversation. Well, also, it was also the same weekend that we did, um, oh, that was so funny. We were doing the inauguration. It was, we were a year late on it because we just didn't get around to it, but the, the inaugural ceremony for the center, um, uh, I had done it with Brad and he gave a talk on Dogen seeing six auspicious signs when they opened a Heiji. And so I wrote to Brad and said, I'm not gonna make a big deal about this, Brad, but I'm pretty, so, pretty sorry I saw an auspicious sign. Thanks for everything. This place is great. <laughs> that was my yeah. report on the event. So I just considered it like, well, that's a nice auspicious sign for, we did a full ceremony, marked the center. I realized everything's gonna be okay at some point and that. Oh, that's beautiful. Wow, yeah, those are some those are some cool stories. Um, I can't believe that that guy knew that the, that your dog was gonna die. Um, and then it's really interesting that your mom has like premonition dreams and stuff. But I'm fascinated how how with how like to you it's kind of like well, there's not any really utility in this, and I see what you mean. Well, cause she wants her to be like, she loves the lottery and she's always trying to get those lottery numbers. She's always trying to make her dreams, help her predict the lottery. And it's never worked. Um, I've been curious if she could harness it. And like, I've tried to come up with some schemes to try to make her get her to, get her to practice, but she's not going to do it. So we'll never know. <laughs> yeah. And whatever, Have you ever I've... had any dreams like that? I don't know. I I have a lot of deja vu that seems a lot like no, I remember waking up from this, you know, but deja vu is pretty tricky. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to stake that that's a real thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. I have deja vu all the time and I have no clue what it means or anything like that. Like, you know, I, I, sometimes I get the sense that it's just, you know, I'm like, I dreamed about that exact moment and now the moment is here. Um, sometimes I'm like, maybe I have actually lived this already. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's hard to know. Um, I think it's, I mean, I always think it's something to do with, like on a technical level, it's probably just your brain writing experience into the place of memory, which it can probably just do that. Just like a hard drive writing to the wrong, the wrong file. It's like recording sensation as memory instead. But also that, that does feel kind of like what happens with practice too, where you stop making those distinctions and you start telling narrative yeah. stories. And so I think that's partially what's happening to me when I, hear sound that was always supposed to be there and i've always known it was going to be there it's your brain being in the still point of neither past nor present so this sound is just all time you know um always was always will be right here and i think deja vu might be a similar track jump in that way yeah yeah as a last question i just wanted to ask you something that i've been thinking about so um one of the primary teachings of Buddhism is impermanence, right? Um, the, I think it's considered like the first mark of existence or something like that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, you know, I'm really fascinated by that. And I think that the teaching of impermanence is, is a really important one. Um, but I'm also interested in how even, even a, 
a philosophy like Buddhism, which really highlights impermanence, it seems like there are certain things in, in the Buddhist teachings that are not subject to impermanence. And I want to know what you think about that. Like, what is there anything in reality from from your perspective slash from the Buddhist perspective that is not subject to impermanence? The way you frame that is good because I don't know how to answer that the way you framed it. There, this is an old you, you stepped in a, an old debate. This happens all the time over the course of thousands of years. Yeah, um, uh, is that Buddhism will say there is no self, everything is empty, everything is impermanent, and they slowly reaccrete some ideas that like start to sound a lot like an ultimate self and something that sounds a little yeah, bit more eternal, exactly. like Buddha nature kind of veers on that a lot. Yeah. Um, and then someone will come along and be like, you said you're being a hypocrite, you know, and so they, they debate this back and forth over the centuries. Um, so you talk about that, but when you say, do I know anything yeah. that is not? So that's what's weird is that we did a koan last night where Dong Shan meets a hermit on a mountain and the first question is how did you get here because there are no paths here you know and the hermits it, it seems pretty clearly he's a stand-in for dongshan went to his still place he, he found he found his peace um and this hermit seems like a metaphor for dongshan's peace um <laughs> the, the hermit's first question is how did you get here there are no paths and so what i know of meditation is anytime you get to a still point like that let's say you want to explore it again like this was a neat place like i really got somewhere still and somewhere like let's try this again tomorrow and I've, I've tried it so many times like i know how i i know how i did this i know what techniques i did i know what the trail was to get to this place i'll just do yeah. it again tomorrow leave a trail of breadcrumbs it never works and just even thinking yeah. like that will just send you off of anything close to that for weeks to months to years you know um so i think that's why i would have that's part of why i would have to say no but now does that still place feel familiar and timeless in a way that like you know i think that's the word i would use many things feel timeless um nothing feels permanent because it's never the same and because like, that's part of what i'm saying about you can't get back there by any predictable roads because it's not in the same place and therefore it's not the same thing but there is a familiarity to it but that familiarity is because it's kind of outside of time and space yeah <laughs> it's kind of not the if it's where the bottom drops out how could you say that's eternal if it's just actually what's not you know i so like I would, that i would say it's timeless it's not infinite time yeah because permanence and impermanence implies time but what you're talking about is timeless and so we to use impermanent or permanent isn't quite even applicable which I think is the point, because one thing I always remember about every Buddhist teaching is they are all metaphors for how to practice. Like yeah. there is no there is no actual good teachers. And I think the teachings hold up for this. Um, there's no actual metaphysics being discussed. It's really just technique. And you can read in those techniques. How does your mind feel when it adopts this viewpoint? You know, yeah. So the viewpoint of permanence is static and stuck, non-dynamic, and will never get you to an actual still point, right? Um, so whether or not something permanent exists or not, I don't know. I don't think. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the point is that thinking there might be is going to lead you on a goose chase that's not going to end where you hope it to. <laughs> I agree. I agree. This was awesome, Dave. Thank you so much. I love Thank you, it. Matthew. This is fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, until next time. Yeah. Peace. Talk soon.
See ya. <laughs> Bye. Bye.